right. So welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast. Uh, we have another special guest today, uh, Dr. Shana Holman, who is a doctor times two, actually. So she has her PhD as well as her DDS. So she's a dentist, um, but also has a doctorate uh, degree as well, separately. So we will talk about that. Um, and welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. You're a mother, you're an entrepreneur, a dentist. So I know it's a juggling act and I really appreciate you taking time out to sit down and talk to me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So first, just tell us about your family. I know that you mentioned before we started recording, you have three children. So tell us yeah. about your family and um, we'll start from there. This podcast is brought to you by Zero Gravity Skin, a prolific leader in the aesthetic devices market, delivering anti-aging, complexion clearing, hair growth, and pain management solutions across the globe. Featuring the Perfectio X, a two-in-one device which treats both pain and signs of aging and is actively working to reverse cell damage accumulated over time. Also, the Relaxio, which provides damaged cells with the vital energy necessary to quickly renew and recover in the most optimal way. For more information, please visit zerogravityskin.com and use code Dr. Derek 30 to receive 30% off your purchase. Again, that's zerogravityskin.com, promo code Dr. Derek 30. So I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It's my husband's hometown, born and raised. I moved here when I was 16, so we're pretty fortunate. We have all of our parents, grandparents, cousins, aunts, uncles, especially on his side, all local. So we have a really big, net big network of family here. But um, I'm married to my husband, of course. We've been together since high school. So we've been together a very long time at this point. Um, we have three kids, ages eight, six, and one and a half. And yeah, that's pretty much it. And uh, yeah. Yeah, so that eight, six, one and a half. So our my kids are 11, nine, and seven now. Um, so a little more spaced out at the end, but totally get yeah. it. We had, our claim to fame is that we had three car seats, so we had three under four at one point. Oh. Um, yeah, and we started uh, right around the end of our training. So I was going into residency, or I was in residency, and my wife was also a pediatric dental resident uh, going into her second year and when we found out we were pregnant. So totally get that being new and out in practice and juggling a family. Yeah, I didn't, I, you know, my whole plan originally was to have kids before I finished residency and that way I could really focus on buying a practice or starting a practice. But then once my practice got stable really quick, we were like, oh, well, actually we could probably swing having another one, but yeah. it's hard to really have kids if you're in the early years of opening your own practice or buying a practice. I was trying to avoid that, overlap, <laughs> but yeah. Sure, sure. But life happens, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about your unique training, having a PhD and a DDS or a yeah, doctorate so, in your dental school. Yeah, so my undergrad degree was in biological anthropology. You know, my, my research focus in undergrad was about evolutionary anatomy. And I had done research all through undergrad, actually starting in high school, high school, all through undergrad, just because I'm a very hands-on learner. It just keeps me more engaged to learn that way. Um, than always from a book. So I started, I got enrolled in dental school and I moved up to Baltimore early to do research that summer at the dental school. And then I thought that would kind of be it with research at that point. But 
I soon learned that the school had a T32 grant from NIH that would fully fund the education if you wanted to do a PhD as well as your DDS. It actually fully funded your DDS as well. And so I started thinking about maybe doing that type of program, thinking it could only open doors, if anything. Um, but no one at the dental school was really doing that kind of evolutionary anatomy research. So I actually talked to my gross anatomy professor and found this amazing professor at Johns Hopkins on the other side of Baltimore, who was, did have a background in also biological anthropology and was swallowing, or studying swallowing and dysphagia and all the complex anatomy and problems that go into rehabbing swallowing disorders. Uh, she's part of the PM and uh, what the physical medicine rehab department. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that actually made me very excited. So I did a lab rotation with her and decided that was amazing and decided to do a DDS PhD. So I did first two years of dental school, then left dental school to really primarily focus on my research. Uh, my mentor was really, really tough in a good way. She said, you know, I need three first authored papers, another two or three co-authored. That's going to be your dissertation. Everything needs to already be accepted for publication. And that, wow. that will, be, will be smooth and you'll have a good start to your career. And I was like, okay. Yeah, Luckily yeah. at the time I had no children. So I lived in my lab and got that done, defended my dissertation. We did that. Uh, and then I came back to dental school to finish my last two years. So um, by the time I came back to dental school, I'd already defended. And yeah, then the last two years of dental school are mostly clinical. You're doing procedures on patients. So yeah, I kind of spent a little time in the lab and in the clinic shadowing transition back. And when I came back to dental school, I was pregnant. I figured yeah. I was far enough along at this point that I was going to finish. <laughs> and right. <laughs> I was old enough that I felt like, and I'd been with my husband at that point a million years already. And we were feeling like no time like the present, you know, just got to roll with life a little bit and decided to take that on. So uh, yeah, so third year, I was mostly pregnant and then had my child a few months before the end of third year. So tell us about being a new mother, you know, and being a student at the same time. What was that yeah. like? Yeah, well, you know, it was tough, but I'm really fortunate to have an amazing husband. My husband's very creative and had started a photography business while I was in dental school, in addition to his full-time desk job. And we kind of ran the numbers and I was like, you know, we just really need to make it another year and a, not quite a half till me finishing dental school. And we kind of ran the numbers and figured he could be a stay-at-home dad, do his photography business. He did a, another side hustle of like delivering pizzas and some food for the local restaurant. Um, but we figured we could kind of make those numbers work and still have the baby and everything until I finished dental school. So I'm really fortunate I had him as a stay at home dad. So I wasn't going home, going to school, leaving my children with a stranger. I was just leaving them with, it, you know, leaving her with her dad. And um, I was able to exclusively breastfeed. I, my dental school is very supportive of women breastfeeding. So we had just the, the school in general had a mother's room with hospital grade pumps. They gave you all the supplies for free. Um, so I was able to do that, which was a definite goal of mine. And uh, yeah, and we didn't have any family nearby in Baltimore, which was hard, but at the same time, I don't know. It, it, was, it wasn't such a hardship just because I had the support of my husband like that. Yeah, we definitely can, you know, relate to that story. We live away from family as well. And having to rely on a nanny or rely on a babysitter. Um, it can be tough at times, but it sounds like that you have always been a planner, like you, you and your husband, as Definitely. you mentioned, uh, it wasn't just, okay, you did the calculations and said, all right, we need this much 
And it sounds like he said, I can get this, but hey, we can make an extra job. So one part of being an entrepreneur is, as we said before I started <laughs> the filming this, start off in one location, had to go to another location, but you have to be ready to pivot and be ready to adjust yeah. to situations. Um, so let's just skip right ahead. So finishing dental school, um, you come out opening your own practice. Let's talk about that. Yeah. And I mean, the thing that happened in the middle there is that I did a one-year residency after dental school at the VA hospital. Okay. And I had my second child during that, about halfway through that re one-year residency. So when I came out of dental school, I had a lot of training. I, you know, I wasn't just a total new grad. I had been doing a lot of surgery. I was placing implants and full mouth extractions and toroid removal and tons of root canals and lots of dentures. So I was a much more confident clinician. Which I just do think is a really important part to the story. Yeah. Um, and again, I had now two kids at a two-year-old and a six-month-old or so. And we decided to move back to Chapel Hill because that's where all of our family was. You know, when we when we were 22 years old, we want to get far away from family and have an adventure <laughs> and do something different and get out of such a boring area. But once we had kids, it made us really want to raise them around our family. Like I really wanted my kids not to see my dad, especially like, or my husband's parents, like twice a year. Like I wanted them to be like the parents they're having sleepovers with and that they're really, really close. And I think that's how my husband grew up. His family's all right around there. I didn't really grow up like that, but that's so what I was desiring. I was really close to my grandma, mm -hmm. but not really any other extended family. But I think we really had that shared vision for what we wanted our kids' lives to be like. So we decided to come back to Chapel Hill. And I started a first job, which was doing mostly hospital dentistry. So I had hospital privileges. I took patients to the OR once a week, mostly adult special needs patients, dementia patients, super high anxiety where we couldn't even do anything in an office, right. uh, but also medically complex enough that it required you to be in a hospital. Most of my patients were on stretchers or wheelchairs is really challenging dentistry, but you know, my boss didn't really care about any aspects of running his office, about the happiness of his employees and patients. And there's just a lot of things that, because I'm kind of a natural entrepreneur spirit, um, was hard on me. Like, I'm not the person that just comes to work and, and drills and fills teeth and goes mm -hmm. home mm -hmm. feeling good about that. Like, I want to be on a team where the team feels empowered. I want my patients to feel respected and valued and you know, I just was not getting that. And so actually the first day I went to work, I um, called the bank later that night. I had a number of someone. And I said, what do I need to do to get a loan? Yeah, <laughs> I, I have work. to get a loan. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't do this. Yeah. I'm just not cut out to be an employee. And so they basically told me as a one year out of residency, I needed a year of working under my belt to demonstrate numbers that I could produce in order to get qualified for a loan. So I figured in that year, I would try to network and meet people and try to find a practice to buy. Cause I figured there's no way I could do a startup. Cause I, I have, I'm my breadwinner in my family. My husband's stay at home dad, like, yeah, he does photography, but really everyone's going to be relying on my income. So I can't not have an income on day one. So I figured that was just not even possible. So I started just trying to meet people, network. Um, I saw a lot of practices and I just started really trying to do some deep thinking about what my strengths and weaknesses were. And so I could be better prepared again to, to run this office that I'd hopefully buy. But I just started having a lot of kind of anxiety about just different aspects of, you know, when you buy a practice, you can't tell your patients or the team, 
you have to come out to work on Monday and say, hey guys, <laughs> I'm your surprise. <laughs> so you're kind of put in this position of having to win over your team, yeah, win over your employee or your um your patients. Um, you're gonna be in an office that's not yours, but you can't change everything right away. You have to do that very slowly. There's probably a lot of problems going on that you're gonna have no idea about. There's just no way you can come up with everything. I heard a whole bunch of horror stories of people buying an office and then finding out the roof had a problem or the HVAC needed to get replaced and just all these huge expenses can come out of nowhere that you're just not prepared for. It's often a huge sum of money you're spending because you're spending a lot of money be when you buy someone else's practice because you have patients on day one and right. there's a value to that. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard of people buying practices and every single team member quit the next day. I mean, I, I've heard of all the sure. patients leaving. Like I, all these crazy. So you could stories. truly invest in it and then it all falls apart and you have to start over anyway. Right. So I started really looking at it. You know, I, I had quit that first job I had. I just couldn't bear the, there's a lot of other issues, unethical things going on there. So I left that and I started temping. And so there's three offices that consistently wanted me one day a week. And I was making enough money at those offices that I did the math and I talked to my husband about it. I said, look, like if I just kept two of those jobs, we can pay our bills, like mm -hmm. nothing extra, <laughs> but we can at least pay our bills to get by. What if I did a startup practice? And even if it was just not even making any money, because I was told maybe a couple of years, you should plan on hardly bringing home any income. I was like, I think we could, if we're both equally committed to this and we can just keep leading, leaving uh, or leading a very lean lifestyle, I think we could make this work. And he was on board. I mean, again, my husband's been a huge support system for me and he really believed in my vision that I had for this. And I thought, you know, Chapel Hill saturated in dentists. We even have a dental school where people can get discounted work. We have a community health clinic, which is a sliding scale. Like there's no demand necessarily right here, but I told him, you know, if I'm gonna do a startup, it really has to be in Chapel Hill. That's where our whole family is, our network, mm -hmm. like our communities in Chapel Hill. But again, I was thinking like I have this small practice that was my own. I have these two side jobs. So I'll pay my bills. Leading up to it while we were in construction, I thought, let me just work six days a week. I took any kind of Saturday temp job I could just to save a little extra cash. Um, yeah, I just worked my butt off to really try to make it possible. And uh, one thing I'd done is I knew that I wanted to own a practice. So I'd started a social media page on Facebook a year prior while I was in residency. And I thought, let me just post some content, get some followers, just as me as a professional. And one day when I buy this practice, I'll just change the name of it. And that way, mm -hmm. at least I have like some content. So I ended up finding a space for my startup. I kind of wrote out my ideas and I signed my lease. And right after I signed my lease, I did my first Facebook Live in this group. I changed the name of it to the name of the office. And my hand was shaking. I'd never done a Facebook Live before, but I knew those got the most reach. I know that's the most personable way to reach people. And yeah, my hand's just there shaking, do it in selfie mode. And I told everyone like, look, I'm taking a leap of faith. I have a vision. I want to create this practice, you know, and I rambled on for like maybe a minute or so yeah, yeah. and got out of there because I was terrified. Right, right, right. But right. Um, that video got so many shares and likes and comments and I think it had something like 8,000 views, just all organic, just to, by putting that out there. And then Let's I stopped really, there. Hold on. At that yeah. point, how big was your Facebook group? How about big was the following? 
about 200 people. When so I opened, you, I had a thousand. All right. So you say, Hey, I'm going, I'm going on my own and boom, you get 8,000 views. It doesn't happen like that usually, right? Not on Facebook no. live. You usually yeah. get five people that come in and you're like, Hey, 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 yeah. and they're your family <laughs> members. Right. So, right. all right. So you're already thinking ahead. I mean, everything you're doing seems like it's been calculated years before, yeah, you, you know. know, so in dental school, you start to say, I need a social media following. I'm going to, because what you're doing is saying that I'm the authority in whatever I'm doing. So you you create a following. And then now we're to the point where you're saying, okay, I know I'm living in a saturated area. I hate my previous job. So I walk away from that, even though I'm the primary breadwinner. And I want to talk about that too. I'm the primary breadwinner, but I'm going to walk away from this practice because I hate it. And I'm just going to hustle. And now here we are day one, yep. you're going live on Facebook, never done this before and boom you're a superstar on facebook so let's start there yeah. <laughs> so what happens after that well so to backtrack to you when i left my job i was trying to be a responsible adult and find something else and i couldn't in time and i also have very high ethical standards and could not stay in that job so i i worked for a temp agency and through the temp agency did find a couple people that wanted me consistently and stuff but i was really just temping um for about another six months before i signed this lease so I, I basically said, like, follow me along on Facebook. I'm going to document the process. So I did a lot of Facebook lives leading up to me opening. So people could get, I, I thought, you know, I'm going to put myself out there in this very personal way. No, I'm attracted to the patients that want to come to me. Unlike right. when you buy someone else's office, you have to win people over. I was like, people might see me as, a, I mean, there's almost no female dentist in this area. There's almost no brown dentist in this area. Like, I, I there's almost no young dentist, period, in this area. Most are just like, older white men okay and i knew i needed to, to put myself out there and attract people that wanted to come see me and i just didn't realize how ready i think my area was for someone to kind of switch it up like that so i really put myself out there i had a lot of people following along i document with photos and videos but also integrated things for people to just learn about me personally um and i did that a lot over the course of the even the first year of opening like, you know, funny videos, like I just went live one day and was like, you know, people ask me why I'd want to be a dentist. Why do I want to hurt people all day? Like, why <laughs> would I get pleasure from this? Right. Yeah. Let me tell you about the story about why I want to become a dentist. And I shared the story of, you know, that whole, that whole process. And yeah. um, so a lot of things like that are giving a tour of the office, but not just a tour of the office, but like why I implemented certain things that I did and why certain things were important to me so people could really get a glimpse into my character and my personality mm -hmm. you know like things like i have a treatment room that is specially designed for patients with handicaps and special needs so there's a dental chair i can push a button on i can push the whole chair up to the wall and bring in somebody with cerebral palsy and lean them fully back in their dental chair and my drills are on a, a unit that i can move around and treat that patient in their chair you know or that have a handheld x-ray unit again for little kids patients with special needs dementia patients like so easy to snap an x-ray when you don't have to run out the room and say just tell them to stay still you know so little things like that that i was excited about my office that would allow me to treat people well and fully and i think it just allowed people to see my character and people really held on to that what so about imposter online. syndrome uh -huh. like did you suffer from imposter syndrome being number one like you mentioned female minority in a white male dominated field and area. Yeah. Did you, what did you, I know you were trying to be confident and show yeah. your confidence, but what were you feeling on the inside? The Sabre training bat is like no other training bat you've ever used before. 
So the purpose of the Sabre training bat with its modified barrel is so that you can perfectly sequence and get behind the ball, getting the bat on plane sooner, creating less miss hits, more line drives, higher batting averages, and more exit velocity. The Sabre training bat is the number one training bat on the market. Sabre bats, the training bat that's gonna take you to your best swing. Sometimes I'm overly confident in the moment then I step back and I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I yeah. have that level of confidence? I think I'm someone that I feel like I've never fully fit in. You know, my, my mother's Jewish American, my dad's Indian, my husband's black, my kids are everything. We have a million different religions within our family. Like, I feel like I'm generally just someone that never really fit into any box or category. So sometimes some of that stuff doesn't phase me as much because it's like any situation I'm in, I'm the outside person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I, I just felt really strongly at the time that I wanted people to come in to see me and that that was going to create the value in my practice. I didn't want them to come in to see me because I took their insurance. I wanted them to come that they said that like, I wanted those people like come and they do come all the time that are like, you know, I've been following you now for years and I need all my teeth <laughs> out and you're going to do it. Yeah. Like, I don't care what, what the insurance, you're going to do this work because right. I know your value system. I, I feel like I know you personally, like you're going to do this work. Like I wanted those people that really, you know, were drawn to me. So I think I, that part of me, part of things made it not as scary maybe. And yeah. I knew I had a good network in my community. Like I know I have that. So and I know I'm a strong leader. Like, you know, again, I, I did a lot of reflecting on my strong strengths and weaknesses ahead of opening. I know I'm a good leader. I've been in a lot of different leadership roles in a lot of different organizations. I've organized big events. I've, again, like I used to be my class president. Like I, I've always been in roles like that. So finding, leading a team to me was something that I wasn't really that worried about. I knew I could lead a team. I knew I could attract people. Um, and I knew my goal was not to attract all the people. It was just mm -hmm. attract the right people that wanted to see me. So I don't know, I, I did feel pretty confident about that. Yeah, so you branded yourself and you went after, like you said, I want the people that want to, me to be my, their dentist. The ones that, since I'm a dental student, been saying, oh, that's my dentist because right. I can identify with her views or I might look like her, which is important as well. Yeah. Um, so that's all something that people need to hear because many times we just play small ball because we say, well, we can't have a practice as big as such and such, or we can't have, you know, I'm going to be solo. So talk to, you mentioned that you started, you opened your doors with yourself and how many other employees? Yeah, I had two employees. I had someone at the front desk and I had an assistant. I cleaned everyone's teeth. I did all their exams. I did all the treatment, but I opened up an online scheduling system six weeks ahead of opening my front door. And I, so I started with 53 pre-booked appointments, 53, huge confidence boost <laughs> going into it. I was like, okay, there are like people on my books. Like, right. that's yeah. scary, but also like, okay, like, you know, and there's just a lot of good energy. I also from social media and I'll say too, the other part of the vision of this office is people told me I couldn't be a Medicaid office. And that if you're a Medicaid office, you know, people will just, they're not going to value your work and value your practice and your time and all of this stuff. And I really want to also play that like 
almost play it up that I was a Medicaid office. Wow. So again, I was okay. attracting the right types of people. So right? like, for people, the listeners that might not know what you mean talking about Medicaid, it's a form of insurance and it's a form of insurance uh, that usually the impoverished or people who are making below a certain income level have this insurance. So what's the now stigma? In North that, Carolina, it covers dental. Pretty much okay. full with very few exclusions. Like yeah. you, it won't cover implants, but it will mm -hmm. cover cleanings and x-rays and fillings and some dentures. Like it covers a lot more than other yeah. states. But talk about the stigma around being a, a Medicaid yeah. practice, so to speak. Well, so, you know, the fee reimbursements for Medicaid are made, would mean that I have to write off of a little over 50% of my fees, um, often more like 60% of my fees. Mm. My profit margin isn't even that high. So like for the most part, that's almost just doing some free work. Mm. Um, but I really thought I could see patients with Medicaid and also have most of my patients being cash pay to offset this in a way that I wasn't feeling it so much on the business end. But I knew that those are our patients that are the most vulnerable in society. These are recovering addicts. These are our special needs patients. These are a lot of children, um, just a lot of vulnerable people. And I really wanted that to be part of my story. And so I put it out there and said, look, like this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And what was cool to see is a lot of my cash pay patients, a lot of my, I mean, I have some very wealthy patients that come to my practice. They will pull me aside sometimes and say, I see what you're doing here. And I appreciate it that you're a dentist that is helping everybody and not just the most wealthy people. And if you're too stuck up and snooty to appreciate that, then that you're not my kind of patient I want anyway. Like I'm not trying to get all the most wealthy patients. Again, I want patients that really value that. So yeah, the stereotypes of Medicaid too, to go back to that is like a lot of these families had lots of children. They'll junk up your waiting room. They're going to be louder. They're going to trash your waiting room. Um, they're going to not come up to appointments. They're going to not show up. Right. But like, I think our patients with Medicaid value coming to our office so much over a public health clinic. And we're pretty strict about, you know, you don't show up a second time. You're not going to be allowed to reschedule. You're just done. And our, we just don't have this problem. I mean, yeah, so I work in South Mississippi as well. Yeah. So it's a very heavy Medicaid population, but they need good care and they need someone who is going to treat them like a human being right. and not just say, okay, I got to squeeze two or three Medicaid patients in my, you know, in my office so I don't get fined or whatever. So, you know, it's beautiful to hear that and how you basically embraced being you know, it's almost like a badge of honor for you. Watch me treat these Medicaid patients that nobody else wants to treat and still do well. So I right. think that's awesome what you're doing. And right. then, and I mean, if, if you look, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, like, if I do fillings on a patient with Medicaid, I know that's not gonna be a very high production appointment, but that can be, if you have someone scheduling in the right way, they know how to balance that with something that is higher production. And just, again, you just don't even feel it. Like, I couldn't run my practice doing all cleanings all day with patients of Medicaid but like if you keep your numbers right and it balanced right you can make it work and if we all did that a little bit it wouldn't be such a burden on a few practices like mine yeah so I'm sure the listeners want to know how is this practice doing how long has it been around how is it yeah. doing so our practice has been around just about four and a half years now and it just grew in a way that I can't even explain I mean that we started off with those 53 appointments pre-booked after about four months, I've seen over a hundred new patients every month since I opened um, across those, the next essentially four years, a little bit more than that. Um, 
in the after the first year, you know, I was told that in the first year I'd be lucky to maybe hit 300,000 in production. We hit a million. In the second year, it was over 2 million. Well, one, well, I think 1.7 or 1.8, something like that. And I brought on another dentist. The following year is about 2.5. And that was, you know, we got hit with COVID and all this stuff too. Yeah. But at this point, we, we had to do one office expansion after about a year and a half of being open. And we just opened a second expansion. So it's the same space, just going into the space next to me in a shopping center. Um, but yeah, and at this point, I now have three full-time dentists working for me. I'm still full-time. Full-time for a dentist, you know, is usually four days a week. <laughs> right, exactly. So Fridays are but, uh, limits. <laughs> <laughs> so I do Monday to Thursday and they, the three of them do Tuesday to Friday. Okay, um, but you're and, still generating profit on your off day, which is a goal, Yeah, which right? is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's nice. I try to be open mostly Tuesday or Friday for dental work. On Mondays, I only see newborns that are having difficulty with breastfeeding. And it's nice that it still be in the office. We can prevent all those no-shows and canceled appointments stuff for Tuesday and make sure we're good going into our Tuesday. But yeah, yeah. It, it's been working really well. And I now have about 25 employees or so. Um, yeah, so it's just been absolutely crazy. Yeah, and just looking at your website, I mean, the first thing that pops to mind is diversity. You see every shade in your staff from white to you know chocolate. Um, and all shades in between, but yep. that reflects who you are. Exactly. It's not, you know, I've sometimes been asked even by minority doctors how yeah. I have such a diverse team. And I do think it's just one of those things about you attract, you know, people that value you in your office. And my employees are huge advocates for my office. So naturally they go to their networks when we're hiring for people. I go to my networks and people know that my office is a safe space, even beyond race and culture, but just even in terms of like sexual orientation, you know, and things like that, you know, so it's, I'm really proud that we have multiple employees that speak different languages. We have LGBT employees, you know, we have people from the North, people from the South, people from the country, like a lot of different cultural differences between all of us, but it's a team where we all really appreciate that stuff and embrace it. And you know, in dentistry, especially the pandemic, it's been very hard to find employees right now. There's just a real, it's a real challenge. And I just have been very fortunate that when my office is hiring, because of the, of that image and the values that we project, even in our marketing and social media and online presence, that it's just not that hard for us to find employees. That's um, awesome. And so awesome. we've always, I try to stay a little overstaffed to make sure that it's okay if someone's out, that we're all not falling apart. And, um, you know, it's just worked for us really well, but that that diversity and that appreciation of different cultures and stuff and really taking care of your team and valuing them is, uh, yeah, I just think it was a long way for hiring and keeping your practice staff too. I yeah, do and it's not for people. dental, this is for everything. Yeah. It's about exactly. building a culture that people want to, are attracted to. You know, right. it doesn't, I bet you're not losing a lot of employees because you have, right. sounds like a great work culture. And, you know, having really good benefits and making sure that my employees know that like I take, they take care of my patients and they take care of me and that I really see as my responsibility to take care of them. Yeah. And a couple other notes on that topic is I tell them, you know, I, they, they're my team. They're not my staff. His staff mm -hmm. is an infection. Right. I really go by that, you <laughs> I know, like that. yeah. And they, you know, so I always refer to them as my team. And I think that even little semantics like that, I think do go a long way. 
even when I was a startup, I had no money. I told them the second this becomes profitable before I even take home a paycheck, I'm getting health insurance for you guys because I care about your health and your well-being. And as soon as I can get beyond that goal, my next goal is a 401k because I want you guys to be able to retire and have something at the end of the day. And so I've always just told my team how much, again, I really deeply look to take care of them, you know, in all these situations. In the pandemic that happened, I've always saved money thinking like my worst case scenario would be my office burning to the ground and coming out to the office and it's just like ashes or something. And like, how would I ride that scenario out? So I've always had enough money in my savings thinking I need to be prepared for the office being burned down. But when the pandemic happened, right. again, I felt like a lot of practices were just not prepared with cash on hand to ride this out comfortably. But I was so fortunate that I was able to pay my employees a full three weeks of pay until the unemployment, all that starts kicking in for them. Um, and so that they didn't have to stress when it wasn't just like closed my office for two weeks and told everyone like, sorry, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and I told them, I was like, look, my, again, my goal is to take care of you guys. And this is not going into your PTO. I still want to take a nice, you know, longer Christmas break this year, but like I'm taking care of you. And when my, I had a, when we realized that this is going to be a while before right. we could reopen, <laughs> um, they were like, whatever you need us to do we're here for you too, to take care of you in the practice. And so even my assistants broke up the days and they would each come in and assist me for a full day. And really after they work three or four hours, it's just cutting into their unemployment check. You know, mm -hmm. it, it is, they're not making any more money, but they really split up and did a full day, you know, to make sure we were good. Um, my office manager worked the whole time instead of really, you know, trying to do the unemployment thing and maybe breaking right. out time. She's like, nope, I'm not, you know, <laughs> not going down like this. And she came in and, uh, you know, again, we were able to ride it out and still have revenue coming in and hit the ground running when we came back. But I think that went a long way for them too, for me to really show them that like, no, I'm not just going to leave you hanging. You know, again, yeah. if the building burned down to the ground, no, I can't pay them for three months, Right. but I want to be able to at least pay my team for a couple weeks if that were to happen to give them a buffer to find something else until I could get up and running, you know, like. But, you know, again, it's, it's just important to show people that you take care of them. And a lot of dentists don't do that. A lot of dentists, you know, if your last patient cancels, they'll tell their team to get off the clock. You know, they, they just don't value them in that way. So I think mm. a lot of that goes a long way for them. All right. Awesome. So on timeout with the sports doctor, this is your final timeout. So I want you to speak about how you use your uh, being different. Like you mentioned, you are comfortably comfortable being different because you've always been different, but everybody's not comfortable like that. So speak to the person who's struggling with the fact that they don't fit in specifically in a certain group. You know, I don't have anyone to really identify with, but speak to them to encourage them about how being different can sometimes be your, you know, crypto can be your superpower, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like being different makes you appear, appreciate differences more, you know, and when you can really value that perspective on things and integrate that knowledge into how you're managing your team and how you're managing your patients. It definitely is a bit of a secret sauce that people can't like, don't understand, you know, like when I can, um, you know, when I understand the Jewish holidays and all those things because of my background there, or when I have employees that can speak Spanish because, you know, that's their culture and they bring that to the office. I don't, 
like you, you just have to use all of that to your advantage like every little difference I mean you know being LGBT even like you know I put it out there like we asked people about their pronouns I'm very clear about my alignment with people of also sexual orientations and and gender identities and stuff like that but you know you put it out there that you have a higher level of understanding of all these different elements of diversity and all this stuff. A lot of people are really ready right now to embrace that and they want to. And I think you'd be really surprised. It's surprising to me how many white patients I actually have to come to my office and say that they chose me because of my office's diversity. They're like, really? Okay. <laughs> awesome. But like yeah. people, yeah. people are ready to hear this and yeah. that message and they're ready to to uh embrace it and um yeah i mean you just you just gotta be confident with who you are and know that you're not trying to appeal to everybody and i'm not trying to be everybody's dentist and not everybody likes me i mean i've had people not i've had yeah. straight up racist patients come in and see my front desk team and act completely inappropriately and it's obvious it's based on race because there's no mm -hmm. other reason they're amazing um you know we've had those situations and so it's not going to be perfect but at the end of the day, I'm not trying to apply, appeal to those people. Like, I, I want the people that want to, that appeal to me and that that want me. And those people are out there. Like, you do just have to be very confident in it. Yeah, I had a previous guest that says, "Go where you're appreciated, not where you're tolerated." Exactly. And I think that's definitely what your office is about. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And again, we it's not been all smooth sailing. It's there's definitely people I'm like, oh, clearly this person did not look at our website. <laughs> Especially yeah. now that my practice has been around four and a half years, we get a lot of people in now that are word of mouth. So they don't yeah. know what they're walking into. Sure, and, sure, sure, and sure. Sometimes you can see that look on their face. Yeah, you need to start a, a webcam so you can pick up on those expressions. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny. My my office manager especially gets a lot of that. She we joke with her a lot, but she's black, but she has like a customer service voice that sounds very stereotypically white. Yeah. And people will come in and ask to talk to her. And she's like, yeah, that's me. And they're like, no, no, I'm here to talk to Whitney. Like, I'm Whitney. And they're like, I don't know. And no then, way like, you're she Whitney. has to point her, her, her badge and everything. And they're like, oh, okay. It's like, pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is great. And I think there's going to be a lot for different individuals to take away from this interview. So uh, tell people how they can follow your practice, how they can follow you. And how they can be a part of your staff if they're in that uh, in the North Carolina area. My team. Your team. I'm sorry, <laughs> staff is an infection. That's right. Yes. Your team. <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, again, I'm in Chapel Hill. We're on Instagram as Holman Family Dental Care, H-O-L-M-A-N, on uh, yeah, Facebook and Instagram. So best place is probably follow me there. Um, and yeah, feel free to shoot me a message. I'm happy to answer questions. I love all things entrepreneurship. I also did write a short ebook about my practice um, and about how I did this startup because I get so many specific questions that are similar. So yeah. it's just a quick PDF download. It's really inexpensive, but I put it on a website that's Holman Family or Holman Dental Consulting.com. But you can do that quick download if you have a lot of specific questions about how I kind of got a whole team together to get the office opened and how I made that decision and what things to maybe think about in that process even things about how to manage your hr and marketing and things like that i just wrote down a few of my thoughts that's my little pandemic project because clearly i have too much energy and i couldn't handle <laughs> sitting yeah. at home for a few weeks so and three kids are not enough to tie you out right no need to yeah, do something yeah. else so yeah <laughs> well awesome well i look forward to definitely connecting you and my wife 
being on this entrepreneurial dental road together. Um, yeah. but your story is awesome and I can't wait to share it. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episode. Until later, peace. Medicine.